0: hello and welcome to criticism is dead a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means if it means anything at all i am pelin keskin lu a producer and writer
1: i'm jenny zhiong the culture writer and critic this week we're discussing lockwood and co and somebody i used to know a tv series and a film about having your own agency whether you're a teen ghost killer or a documentary filmmaker
0: just being a woman in this world, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you, you going to do? It's it's hard out here for absolutely every universe uh, that people make up as writers. How's your week been, Jenny? What have you been uh, up to? What's been on your mind?
1: You know, just something that I I guess is I have never really had to contend with that much before, but the rush of getting all of your medical appointments in before... You know, the oh, yeah. the month ends and in the US, uh, you know, if you lose your job, you're without health insurance after that. Yes. Um yeah. my company as or my former company is actually gonna cough up for like Cobra or this this other form of health insurance after um yeah. but wanted to sort of get everything in this month just in case there's a difference between like proper health insurance and whatever. So anyway, it's just like a rush of scheduling appointments um i haven't been to some of these doctors or it's like or like dentists or whatever in literal like a year or multiple years so it's
0: right yeah it is something
1: i I don't like to have a body generally so yeah i feel you sort of having to, to to face that reality
0: yeah especially like as a woman where you're just like cheers yeah i'll uh Put my feet in these stirrups and you can just have a gander inside of me and that's normal uh yeah no it's it's terrible it's just you're doing it though you're yeah. being the responsible adult and that's good yeah, yeah. finally fun times uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway that's that's, that's yeah. something i've been dealing with right now uh what about you what's going yeah. on in your world in your mind
0: you know uh, on top of the the administrative nightmare that is being unemployed i've actually started the casting process for my short film and that's really fun Big shout out to casting directors one time. You are very <laughs> important. Yeah, just, just fascinating side of the filmmaking process that yeah. I knew about, but like once you're actually in it, once it's you're doing different. it, once you're watching these people, yeah. Uh, two lines that come up quite often in demo reels. How could you and how dare you? And I'm just uh. like, wow, that's so dramatic.
1: That makes, ever... that makes sense. Do you
0: reckon you'll ever say those two phrases? No, I don't no do... yeah never in,
1: r- in real life. But but no. movies and TV, sure. Yeah, it
0: happens all the time, man. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's, that's so that's... interesting. Yeah, that's been fun. Anyway, let's get into it. What have you been watching this week?
1: So this week I watched Lockwood and Co. on Netflix. This is a teen detective supernatural thriller series developed by uh, Joe Cornish, and it's based mm. on. Uh, a YA book series of, of the same main by Jonathan Stroud. So mm. I actually came upon this through TikTok. I think maybe the algorithm had sensed somewhere that I had watched Wednesday on Netflix, which you previously oh, talked about. right, And yeah. it's sort of in a similar, you know, genre. So it kept serving me up some of these, these clips. And I was like, what is this? I don't really care. Um, yeah. But I watch it anyway. And and so to give a little more context about what Lockwood & Co. is about, it is kind of an alternate history. It's set in London in a world that has been plagued by something called the problem that occurred 50 years ago. And that resulted in uh, ghosts all over haunting different houses and graveyards and, and mansions and generally be, ranging from like a nuisance to an actual threat, an actual danger. Yeah. Um, So the only people who can fight the ghosts are certain children and teens who have something called, you know, a talent, where Mm -hmm. they can sense or see or hear the ghosts. Uh, Mm. So the kids are then employed by adults uh, who run these agencies, and then they go around like Ghostbusters exterminating ghosts, uh, which can be risky and, and often even deadly. So this series follows one agency in particular. It's called Lockwood & Co., it's an unusual agency in London in that there are no adult supervisors. It, it basically consists of three teens, one of which is the founder, who is, like, someone mysterious and reckless named Anthony, played by Cameron Chapman. There's George, played by Ali Haji Hashmadi, the sort of nerdy research specialist. And then um the probably, like, what you could say is the central protagonist, uh, a newcomer named Lucy played by Ruby Stokes, who some people may know from Bridgerton. I think she played one of the little Bridgerton daughters. Uh, so Lucy came to London to escape a tragedy in her hometown that occurred when she was working in, in her hometown's agency. I have to say, like, I, I really like this idea, like this sort yeah. of Scooby-Doo, Ghostbuster, teen investigators. Uh, it's, it's slightly spooky, which often I don't do well with but I think it's it's okay in the context of like this sort of supernatural world which ultimately overshadows like my potential uh fear of things uh but yeah how about you how far are you into this and and what are your initial thoughts
0: so I've only gotten through three episodes so far um Mm -hmm. I will keep watching it though because I I agree with you I think the thing that took me aback was the world building and I hadn't really seen anything like that since yeah harry potter i'm gonna be really honest the world building is
1: is really good
0: it's really good and it isn't just you know the way things look it's it's the reality of the world itself in which there are rules and regulations and institutions Mm -hmm. and things that are done things that are not done theories like conspiracy theories within the world and like all of this stuff is like right up my alley because i think it's very true to real life except it's set in this like Like magical world exactly Yeah. yeah yeah and
1: it's um I mean, I think this is, like, shout out both to the novel author, which is mm-hmm. Jonathan Stroud, of course, but also to, like, this production for translating that world for the screen. Like, again, yeah. you have all of these, like you mentioned, there are actual things and, and and rules and policies and governances in place. It feels, like, reasonably real, like, plausible. Like, this could yeah. have happened in this alternate timeline. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, there is that sort of more fantastical element, which... Feels and looks and sounds like really cool. Like, it's, that's just the word I have for, which is just like slightly Victorian steampunk feeling. Yeah. Only, only contemporary. That's actually a good way of
0: describing yeah, it. Yeah.
1: Like, it has certain like feelings or, or elements that are drawn from that. Like, you don't see that much technology or like guns. When a gun pops up eventually in the series, it's like, oh, whoa. I yeah. thought everyone was just fighting with like sticks and swords. Um, so it has that sort of feeling of being, like, kind of at another time, but at the same time it is placed in, you know, what we presume is kind of the present, just, like, yeah. different, because uh, things happen yeah. differently in this world.
0: Um, I mean, I love that, I love, like, in terms of alternate history or, like, fantastical history, the fact that, like, fencing is so important in this world is yeah really great to me. Um, and it makes, like, sense if you consider
1: yeah in the, the history the, the of, of humanity yeah right yeah
0: like in the history of war within like obviously in the west um for it to go from sword fighting into fencing is, is a totally plausible reality um, yeah. yeah and it makes for yeah.
1: some like very uh interesting fight scenes like a lot more interesting yeah. than you know just a shootout or something it's yeah totally. there's like a charm and a, an old school charm to the, the fencing the rapiers um yeah. I also like how the world building it unfolds like without getting weighed done by too much uh, exposition. Like the first episode, you know, we kind of jump into the action. You do get a bit of like, you know, throat clearing background setting in this mm-hmm. like prolonged uh, flashback. That's mm-hmm. kind of unavoidable. But other, yeah. other than that, it doesn't like throw too much, just like wordy explanations at you. It kind of shares a little information here and there along the way until by the second episode, I think you're more or less caught up you know how this world works and it does so in a somewhat clean and elegant way which is is good because a lot of fantasy series or sci-fi there's way too much like exposition they're dumping at you or there's just not Mm. enough uh showing and they just leave you in the dark as to how things work at all this strikes a nice balance i think
0: i agree yeah i agree with that how did you feel about the the way that it's more on the ya side like the young adult side of this
1: (laughs) That's a great question. There are times, I think, that uh, unavoidably, like, some of the YA elements, I did find sort of just, like, eye-rolling a little bit. Um, Mm. Yeah, I think you'll see this more in the later episodes, but they are, like, very clearly building up this budding romance between two of the characters, Anthony and Lucy. And, like, that's fine. You know, that happens all the time. Of course, like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. But just, like, sometimes how some of those things are, like, broadcast or referenced in these books and then also these TV shows, it's, like, people commenting, like, to, to the guy, like, oh, you really changed around this girl, or, like,
0: mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you you
1: two are a couple, right? And it's just a little bit too tired. It's a little bit too cheesy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's I'm – I'll give it a pass because it is YA. And yeah. there's, like – there are examples of really – well done YA and this is like even if it has some of the hallmarks of YA that are a little bit more tropes and cliches like it's okay um what about you are there other are there elements of like this YA genre that you're sort of picking up on that either
0: you're a fan of or you don't like it felt more true to the genre I think there's a lot of quote-unquote YA that's coming out these days that I think is actually just adult straight up like not even young mm. adult just in terms of the tone and the delivery of the of the performances and the plot and everything and it's it, you know there's a reason why a lot of adults are actually watching these YA shows uh too mm-hmm. and i think even though it's not necessarily my cup of tea with how YA this is it is perfectly acceptable for a lot of like what 10 to 16 year olds mhm um, you know, me not liking it is not the fault of the thing itself. It's just how it is. Um, yeah. So I, d- I try not to ding it because it's it's not really its fault for being true to the age. Right. In which a lot, right. Of the, a lot of the audience it's targeting is. Um, yeah. And maybe we just aren't the the target audience, which is... Right. And like, I'm, I, you know, I try and picture myself as like a 13-year-old watching this and I'd probably fucking love it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you go got... Uh, there's a lot of chat nowadays about like... <laughs> going back into the Harry Potter novels and like picking apart some of the details in that and just like how ridiculous some choices are mm-hmm. as adults. That's what we're doing. But like at the time when we were all reading it, like especially given the time that we were reading it, it didn't matter. Um, yeah. We were so enthralled by the world building and the characters and how important they felt um, and how high the stakes felt. Like all of that, you have that here too where there's a lot of st- the very high stakes. Honestly, like I think my, critique is probably there's just too many fucking stakes built up um (laughs) within like the first three episodes but yeah stakes are plenty you know the the different personalities are distinct um and yeah it's it's on the nose but like it kind of has to be we're still dealing with like older children essentially as to uh, what it's going for
1: there is something to be said about like um context and an audience yeah yeah i will say though one thing that I think this is really the adult in me like rearing its head. Um <laughs> I'm really like sometimes I got so frustrated at some of these teens dumbass decisions. Yeah. Some yeah. even just like oh no, we didn't pack the right equipment. And I was like, "Oh my god, you're you're professionals. Like
0: please just yeah, just pack g- the g- right like, equipment." Also- yeah. But don't you think it makes sense because they're just still fucking children pretending to be adults?
1: I guess so. And maybe that is, like, if you want to extract some sort of, like, greater, more serious theme from this, it's, like, well, it's how the world and adults have, like, forced children to pretend to be little adults of their own. And, like, that is a form of um, exploitation and, like, uh, trauma. And, yeah, that is, like, the sort of serious theme if you you are digging for something here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But still, just, like... You know, I just can't abide seeing stupid things happen. Yeah. Um, so some of that, like, kind of dug at me a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, my thing uh, that I find annoying that is not a YA thing, it's just a general TV thing, is uh, when there's conflict that occurs because of just straight up miscommunication. Yeah. Where that too. When someone hears a part of the conversation and doesn't hear the second, when there's someone that doesn't. Explain themselves to the person in front of them and then assumptions are made and then that becomes like a whole fucking thing
1: yeah it's like Um, the whole thing yeah yeah, it's like the whole thing where you know something someone stumbles upon someone doing something something that they think is like not right or it's upsetting and the first thing out of the the person who has to defend themselves the first thing out of their mouth is it's not what you think like please yeah. it's not what you think it's like oh fucking come on that just okay so just yeah, say, just then, say like, it just say what yeah say what it is
0: say what it, uh, but no they can't because the other ones already run off you know yeah decided yeah you, the you
1: wasted you wasted it's your so, like one so one minute of breath on that yeah i get it that's, that's something that i know i see too and those yeah. are just sometimes like writers like they, they take shortcuts like that is something that is yeah. like lazy and sort of easy to reach for. So I agree. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll move past our griping. Um, yeah. what did you, what did you think of the cast? The central ca- cast are all pretty young, I think. And, um, aside from Ruby Stokes, I believe the two boys are fairly new to acting or they're like, mm-hmm. they have not had that many big things happen yet to the yeah. extent where they don't have Wikipedia articles about them, for example.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether it's just a matter of the characters themselves are just still in flux as yeah. to who they think they are and then whatever, but all, I think all three of them, I can't put my fucking finger on any of them. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't know exactly who they are. Like, I will say the lead, uh, the, the guy who owns Lockwood & Co., um, mm-hmm. it's funny how he looks 12 and, like, 40 at the same time. Um, yes.
1: He, I think there have been, like, People have been commenting that he looks like a young um, Dave Tennant, yeah, which I think is true. pretty accurate and maybe deliberate because of the way they styled him as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, with the waistcoat and everything. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. I
1: th- I thought like out of the three, he was probably the most effective for me, which mm-hmm. is not to say like really expert level yet, but still like working in what his, you know, character archetype was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. How'd you feel about Ruby?
1: Uh, you know, I can't tell. I also can't tell if it's like the writing of this character or the the direction for like h- how she's they want her to portray this character or mm. or her. I don't. Something is off for me. Um yeah. she seems for me to like her or this character or whoever. They sort of go like vacillate wildly between these two different versions of herself, and and mm-hmm. so it seems inconsistent like scene to scene who this character is supposed to be or how ruby stokes portrays her or whatever like yeah there's a you know the very cool sort of witty side of her but then there's also the her that you know especially in moments of panic when like her the the voice goes up a couple octaves when there's a lot of like heavy breathing and and Mm -hmm. you know everything that sort of goes along with like Urgent situation. She transforms into like, okay, this sounds like Emma Watson, and this sounds like Emma Watson having a panic attack, and yeah. I don't know. It just like it's not quite working for me.
0: Because I think the whole thing with her is that she's never been comfortable with her gift, or like it kind of scares her. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole thing about you know, seeing like she never gets used to it. That's like the whole sh- her whole shtick. But at some point, I don't know. Like there, there's a part of me that just. You want? She's clearly like excellent at what she does, and I've always liked it when the person that is excellent at their job knows that they're excellent and is assured in that. And it's everything else that they're fucked up at. Um,
1: yeah, so and it's it's sort of yeah.
0: inconsistent in here. Um, yeah, it doesn't explain her contradiction and why yes, that, that yes. exists. Yeah.
1: Overall, though, like I do hope there's a second season. I, I hope it gets mm-hmm. new, re- renewed because we do end on kind of a cliffhanger (laughs) in this first season which you will see pelin yeah which is exciting but also annoying because we know netflix and all these streaming platforms they are not afraid to cut yeah but i mean i i'm really interested in this world i would love to know what happens in this world i'd love to know what's at the the center of this big mystery of the problem those are all things i am very intrigued by so i would love to see continue and and you mentioned pelin it has a real banger, of the a theme song. It
0: does. It's a no-skip situation, man. Especially like the outro version of the theme song. Very good. Mm-hmm. Absolute banger. All right, Pelan, what did you watch this week? So this week I watched Somebody I Used to Know, which is a film that you can watch on Amazon Prime right now. It's written by the married couple Dave Franco and Alison Bree, and it's directed by Dave Franco as well. It's a rom-com, essentially. It tells a story of Ali, played by Alison Brie herself. Um, Ali's a workaholic showrunner of a food reality competition show, and when her show fails to get renewed for the third season, she finally, with much convincing, goes back to her hometown of Leavenworth in Washington State, and she runs into her ex, Sean, that's played by Jay Ellis. They have like a night of reconnection, and Ali gets her hopes up about like rekindling the alternative path in life that she didn't take until she finds out that Sean is getting married to Kiersey Clemens, uh, who plays the wife-to-be, in about four days. So Ali decides to kind of test Sean's relationship to see if it's stronger than what they used to have, essentially. As the film goes on, you kind of find out that Ali wanted to get into more serious documentary filmmaking and then like left her relationship with Sean to move to LA for her career. And that's kind of why they broke up. So... It's funny. A couple weeks ago, I saw like either a TikTok or a short video on it, on Twitter of the two of them, uh, Alison Brie and Dave Franco like promoting this, and I thought it was a not a joke, but I didn't think it was real for some reason. And then I found out oh, you that thought it, was. it was like a parody or something. Yeah, yeah, especially because of the name, which is you know based on a song that we all had the earworm for for fucking years. Yeah, Do you know what I mean.
1: Shadow got you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so I just. I don't know why I thought it wasn't real. Anyway, it's real. It exists. I watched it. So did you. What did you think?
1: You know, I was really surprised by this film. I'll say in a good way. I don't think I really knew what it was about going in. Maybe I looked up like a a one sentence synopsis or something. And that really did not give me that much hope for what kind of movie this would turn out to be. Like, I started out thinking for maybe the first third of it that it would turn out to be like a kind of hallmark kind of thing it was definitely yeah, yeah. heading in that direction where it's like oh you know jaded burned out uh city girl moves back to her hometown and re rekindles her flame with um you know her old love or whatever yeah that was like it, lumberjack shirts and shit yes yeah. yes and you know i was like oh i'm surprised palin picked this um yeah <laughs> i should have known i should have known i should have had more faith in you and in this <sighs> film because it really turned things around in an in interesting way, an unusual way for mm. a rom-com.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing about me, even though I'm the Queen of Darkness and I love sicko shit, um, I am a huge rom-com fan. So <laughs> if there is a rom-com that is slightly above average, I'm I'm going to watch it. And when the reviews started rolling in for this, it was pretty mixed. Um, yeah. So I wanted to just do a little bit of my own research just because everybody's got an opinion and half the time i don't agree with them so i'm glad i watched it too i'm glad you liked it and enjoyed it um it is a really easy watch it is genuinely yeah. like a great i would say weekday um like after dinner or like even on because i watched this on a saturday morning and it was just like perfect like it made the time go by really quickly so i want to get into like a little bit of the details you know obviously we love to see Alison brie anyway or anywhere on our screen always i think they wrote this during the pandemic on like produced it during the pandemic as well because i mean we're still in it whatever but fascinating to me that she was able to write a screenplay with her husband and then let him direct it and also star in it it's just like it's a very involved it's like very like very like passive and roland's uh thing going on but obviously not as um high Uh, art
1: yeah (laughs) and it just hit me that Allie is basically a nickname for Alison. So yeah,
0: exactly. I yeah.
1: did not even realize that, even though I know fully what Alison Bree's name is. But yeah. there you go. Another little self-insertion sort
0: of thing. Yeah. Um, saying that, I think it really affected the chemistry between her and Jay Ellis. My one big critique of this film, for a rom-com, you really, really do want the love interest, like the protagonist and the love interest, to have really fantastic chemistry and i just did not think that they had it at all and it's just funny Mm. because like they're both such good looking people and this just kind of goes back to what we were saying like ages ago and we've said it multiple times be two hot people in one room does not a chemistry make and yeah this was just such a perfect example of it i mean the thing that saves it though is that that's not the point really um of the entire film what did you think of him what did you think of them together
1: well, I agree that I don't think they really have that much chemistry. If anything, I wanted both of these characters, uh, Alison Brie's character and Jay Alice's character, they're both, like, um, actually the villains in a way. If there is a villain in this yeah. movie, like, it sort of gets flipped around where the bride-to-be is the one who is sort of getting... maligned and fucked over by these other people in her life
0: yeah
1: um so if anything i wanted both these two to get villainized more like really dig into the asshole things that they are very clearly doing and then for them to be uh i think called out a little more because Mm -hmm. the film does sort of you know the wedding is happening that's sort of the timeline these various events transpire the conflict happens The yeah. really fucked up shit that uh ali does for example and that sean does does as well mm-hmm. you know there's the part where basically the bride has a choice to forgive them or you know accept it or whatever and spoiler alert like the wedding continues right and i i kind of think so it's like almost like the, the all of this stuff this is terrible stuff that was happening is just like a little blip and then it's back to normal. I kind of wanted them to be a little bit more like uh, consequences for what these people were doing. Yeah. And I know like clearly like Allie doesn't get to attend the wedding, which is for the best. Yeah. But I think like, I don't know. They, a little more acknowledgement that what both of these people did was like really fucked up. And like the, the bride was really getting fucked over by by this woman, this this yeah. this ex of a groom, and then also the groom himself. And I wanted there to be a little bit more like a blatant asshole behavior from them and like yes. acknowledgement in this universe that this is, that they're yes. being huge fucking just shitheads. Yeah.
0: I like that it wasn't made into a big deal, but I agree with you in that that really should have affected, like I, if I was the bride, if I was Cassidy, I would really like to have known if my fiance was kissed by someone else like four days be- before we got married it's not really divulged to her at all like we don't see her finding out about it and i think a part of it is like i get the choice i get that it's like ultimately doesn't matter because the point is something else and the conflict mm-hmm. is something else much more deep-rooted and i like that yeah that they yeah, took that the- path yeah
1: sure like the emotional conflict at the heart of it i thought was interesting and the parallels between cassidy and Allie, and ultimately that question of like you know the husband or the career or like your personal life or work Mm -hmm. um that is Mm -hmm. what really matters and i thought the way that they approached that was good and like interesting yeah
0: yeah and like true to the world and things that i think a lot of people should be thinking about and you know we love rom-coms of the past and they're escapist and a part of the escape is that you just have to believe that these people will be okay for the rest of their lives once you the film stops um in all honesty there probably won't be <laughs> And like if you were to like be like if this was a real situation would this relationship last and like nine times out of ten in those rom-com films they wouldn't whereas i think in this film it really took like a more pragmatic realist approach as to, as to what that means as to what ultimately breaks a couple down the path and like how they try and address it before they get married. I agree. I think the parallels parallels that they drew were really well. And I think it's part of the reason why Ali and Cassidy's chemistry was just so much more believable. Um, like just the sisterhood of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and the way that they were both just kind of like, well, Ali was trying to look out for Cassidy. Um, I really like that part of it because it's, it's not often that that happens. Um, where it's like woman to woman, like what are we like what are you doing? Like this is what I had to do for me. Like you really have to consider it for yourself. And as someone that's older and has been down this road before, I'm just giving you my two cents kind of thing. Like yeah. I love I love all of that. I think that's so I don't know, heartwarming and yeah, ultimately yeah. Like, feminist. And,
1: and, yeah, and like just because Allie is trying to break up this couple does not make her advice any less true. Right but also like her advice being true also doesn't necessarily ex- shouldn't necessarily excuse the fact that she is also using this as an opportunity right. to drive them apart. Exactly. It's like that kind of duality that is interesting and how th- two things can be true at once. Yes. Um, yeah. And I also like, you know, being a recently laid off person, um, who thinking about their life, mm. you know, just that whole situation of, of Allie's, her situation, her work situation and how she compares it to her personal life, you know, it struck, struck some kind of chord, uh, related to at least like some part of that.
0: Oh yeah, dude. I mean, am I also a documentary filmmaker that has had enough of making food videos, uh, and wants to do more meaningful work? A hundred (laughs) percent. Uh, that deeply related to that, but yeah, the part where you're like left out in the lurch and you kind of go back home and you look down the path of what your life would have been if you stayed. That part is so real. Um, mm-hmm. I think about it every time I go back to London. Like it is, even if, you know, it's never going to happen for me right now. It's just something you can't help but think about, especially if there's like a love interest in that, where it could have been something that a path that you went down with someone else. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I personally think every mari- like uh, every couple to be should have an alley um just to test not. Like
1: the coming through to like as a wrecking ball and see if they, they last out of the wreckage.
0: I genuinely think that it's easier to break down the foundation when the foundation's still being built as opposed to breaking yeah. down the fucking house when the wallpaper is already dried yeah, and set. That's you know. True. So it's just, it's just something that again, I really like the pragmatic approach of this where it's like it's not just love, it's your fucking life, you know, like you really, really have to consider that you are going to be in this relationship. And it's not just about, you know, keeping the third thing alive, which is a relationship, but ultimately, you still have to keep yourself alive. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I like, I like this, you know, there's there's been a lot of rom-coms recently that kind of take this more pragmatic approach a little bit less uh in the fantasy of the love which you know says something about our time and and how we've all collectively grown up as as people after like a fucking pandemic or whatever but i like this i think this is a really good path to go down um will it have the same effect as the you know the heyday of the rom-com uh, probably not but i still would recommend watching this um Honestly, out of, like, the more recent rom-coms that have come out, this is one of my favourites.
1: So this week in culture, we are going to be talking about a certain pair of shoes that have kind of seized everyone's attention so we are amidst like various fashion weeks uh taking Mm -hmm. place in in paris and new york so it is kind of a big moment for looking at fashion right now yeah and there is a pair of red boots that have been everywhere i think if you've looked on social media yeah they just look like big old chunksters like video game (laughs) boots like anime boots right on your feet yeah, uh, Pelin, would you care to explain what are these boots and and what do you think of them?
0: So these boots are by a brand called Mischief, uh, which I wouldn't call them a fashion brand. I wouldn't yeah, call them. I think them... they. I
1: think they call themselves like a, a collective, an art collective of some sort, which already
0: is the biggest red flag you can ever have with shit like this. Um, I as someone that is, I love the fashion world. I love fashion news. I love all of the trends and all of the shit that's coming out of them. Uh, this has deeply annoyed me. Um, so this brand... Really? This, yeah. I mean, <laughs> fuck off. You know? Like, that's just kind of my TLDR of it. Um, but to those that don't know, Mischief is, yeah, like you said, a collective. What they do is they create things for a buzz. And they create these pair of boots, which are... I don't know what material they're made out of. It looks like some form of plastic. Um, they look like Astro Boys boots, straight up um Mm -hmm. it launched with like a photo shoot with like i think some famous instagrammer she's wearing them around new york and uh yeah i think it was just like a natural progression from the chunky shoe movement that has like obviously we've had for a couple years now um the chunky ugly shoe whatever it might be it works really well in terms of uh proportions and silhouettes to have like the big chunky base at the bottom where your feet are and then to kind of build up from that and this is just like a very silly uh on the nose literally just to be photographed for instagram version of that fashion has gone down this road i think with different brands doing exactly this where You know, there's a lot of stuff being made that looks great in a picture, but maybe isn't as comfortable to wear on a day to day. That's fine. That's always been something that the fashion girls have known for years. Like it's not necessarily about comfort, but this is like so outside the realm of, I guess, practicality that a lot of people have just started to kind of critique it.
1: Well, I guess maybe the probably the point of it is that it's sort of critiquing that culture of where for buy for Instagram and nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this collective does tend to do like, in their view, you know they they want to make statements on consumer culture and stuff like that. But right. there is, of course, a question of like by trying to comment on it or um, satirize that, are you when are you just like becoming part of it yourself? And that that may be like sort of the the fine line in this particular trend. Well, um,
0: I mean, as soon as you start selling it, I think you've already relinquished the satirical part of it, personally speaking.
1: Right, right. I can't lie, in some of the outfits I see, they do look cool. It's fun. It's like kind of funny yeah, in a way. Funny. Yeah, it's
0: um, funny. Yeah,
1: I have. I also have seen that like a lot of people who wear them, they literally cannot get their foot out of it afterward. Yeah, of course I, not. <laughs> I would guess it's some kind of like... A, rubber plasticky rubber thing like something that suctions really tightly and there's like yeah no room wiggle room to get it out mm-hmm. um i see this like fashion guy who i follow on tiktok like wisdom eight is his handle mm-hmm. i think a lot of people know him he had to like literally cut slits in the back of them to mm-hmm. i think you know get some air in there and release his foot from it yeah um just funny stuff man like people
0: yeah people
1: will do anything for like a viral moment these days or like a nice a nice sort of cloudy photo shoot or or tiktok or something
0: i i'm trying to see the the in terms of like the impact that it has on the commentary or the narrative of like the fashion world these days and i get it like a lot of these stunts do get pulled over the history of fashion it's nothing new so i'm trying to not like be too much of a hater about it but i i think like the fact that it flares up and then will eventually very quickly die out where in a couple of weeks no one's going to be really talking about it until the next thing comes along i think that's the part of me that is cynical about it that there's no lasting power to it and that's the point point. and i think it's a problem when you have a generation of kids who in order to feel something more meaningful they are reaching in for a nostalgia that they have not themselves lived through which is why like the Y2K, the 90s things are happening. And it's just like, you have to kind of, like, you have to start doing the history making now. Like you you have to have something lasting. You have to have something that really, really stays with you. You can't, I don't know, you know, like I don't know if I'm making any sense with this, but it's just fascinating seeing, I think the younger generation right now just really um, be obsessed with the, just literally the generation prior to them. You know, that's never really happened before. Uh, and I think this is because there's no nostalgia making now. Um, and if the n- nostalgia making is just a pair of red boots that we're gonna forget in, a, in about a week or even by the time we fucking publish this podcast episode, um, it's a little bit worrisome. Uh, but it's not my problem because it's not my generation. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I, it I it. guess,
1: I guess that that's true, but I will say I'm not like trying to defend these boots, but that's like, the case for everything these days yeah like, yeah that's what i mean most though. kinds of fashion yeah um so maybe the these boots are like one example of that but, but th-
0: these boots are just it's like if that was a subtext before the boots these boots are just text like they're so brazen in communicating that and like not pretending <laughs> that that's not what we're doing uh so i respect that if anything would you wear these uh never in my life yeah but... me neither no good for you if you if you can go for it um yeah couldn't be me (laughs) all right that's us this week uh we will be back next week for more if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com you can at us or dm us at criticism is dead or one word uh on twitter and instagram For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our wonderful newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with that sweet, sweet five stars if you can swing it. Tell a friend about us and we will, yeah, see you next week. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin keskin and Jenny Chishon. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lee.